0: Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought you'd be further along financially by now? If so, you're not alone. Many people find themselves wanting to ditch their nine-to-five, wishing they had more time with their family. What most people want is to simply live the life that they choose and with plenty of money to do so. The good news is you can live an abundant life through apartment investing. Mark and Tamil Kenny with Think Multifamily help you take back the time and freedom so that you can live free from the stresses that burden so many. Through multifamily investing, they teach you how to set your family up for a lifetime of true success and fulfillment. They have helped hundreds of people just like you. Patrick, for example, who since working with Think Multifamily has purchased over 900 units with another 850 under contract. And at 27 years old, was able to quit his demanding job in corporate America. Regardless of your age or profession, Think Multifamily can help you create the life of your dreams. As hosts of the new Think Multifamily podcast, Mark and Tamil will walk you through the journey step-by-step to make sure you are completely set up for success. Through this interview-style podcast, you will gain a proven strategic apartment investing system And hear stories from successful investors, all to help you be light years ahead of those who try to do it alone. Subscribe to the Think Multifamily podcast today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash podcast. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm Adam Adams, and I'm really excited to talk a little bit about um, the eight ways that you can get involved in multifamily like right away. Um, some people kind of hold themselves back because they don't have enough of the knowledge, and, and some people kind of hold themselves back because they don't think they have all the money. Other people hold themselves back. They have tons of money, but they just literally don't have enough time to run the deals. They don't no, they're were, they were probably smart enough to run the deals. They, they probably feel competent enough, I guess, to run those deals, but and they, they just don't feel like they have the time. They're focused on other things. They're focused on their family. They're focused on their freaking business. They're um, something that they're working on, and, but they want to get into multifamily. They know multifamily is the way. But they don't know how to do it. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is, is just being passively investing. So, so we talked about finding the deals. We talked about earnest money deposit. We talked about raising money. Okay, now fourth, is being passively invested in multifamily. And so I'm really gonna talk to you about a few of the advantages of being a passive investor. Um, So I started to talk a little bit about one person that came. I I started to talk about this, I think on the last episode, right? But I didn't finish it because I'm flighty and I actually... uh, in my brain is always, always, always moving. And I'm doing my best to add value to you. And I'm chasing those squirrels in my mind as I'm trying to deliver the value. And I hope you'll bear with me because I'm still giving the value that I can. And what I'm talking about is this guy that came into my office at my last, um, at my other office. Okay, so I'm recording this in Denver. And then I have an office in Conifer. And yesterday I was in Conifer and uh, this guy was fixing my door and he comes up to my door and um, he's, he's like, so what is it that your podcast is about? Because he sees like all of my podcast equipment. Like I've got lights everywhere. I've got mics everywhere. Uh, my, my walls are like foamed out with, with sound barrier insulation. And um, it's just like, looks like a tech studio, right? So he's like, what is it again that your podcast is about? Here I am in my sandals and my shorts and, and my polo shirt. Um, because that's how I dress. If you all saw me at any of these conferences, uh, you have probably noticed that that's how I dress. So he like looks at me. He's like, what is your uh, podcast all about? And I go, well, I, I own, um, I'm a part owner in about 1,400 doors. And um, and my, that's what my team does. I, so I, I'm, I'm, I own or I, I'm a part owner in seven syndications and most of them about 200 doors. And, uh, and he's like, oh my gosh, that's cool. So you do real estate? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I, I own one apartment. And I was like, one, one building? He goes, no, one unit. And I was like, oh, cool. Tell me more about that. And so um, he told me that he has a condo and he's got, the condo is um, literally 300 grand or two, I, that's exaggeration. He literally told me 290 and I'm rounding up. Uh, I am sorry. But anyway, he goes, he goes the, the condo that I have is 290. I own it cash. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um uh did you ever have leverage on it? He goes, "No, we just bought it like this." And I go, "How much did you buy it for?" He told me, I think it was 165 and he bought it I think in 2007, I think he told me, 2000. I don't remember now, but I think he said 2007. And he goes, oh, "Yeah, we bought it for like 165 and now it's worth like 290." And I was like, "How much is the HOA?" And I expected the HOA to be high because I used to be an investor. I used to flip properties in um some of them were condos, some of them were land, and some was um Home, some were homes in uh, Broward County, Florida. And so I looked at a, a, a ton of condo association fees. And in Florida, holy cow. I mean, most of the condo association fees are 600 a month. Uh, they go anywhere from 300 to like 1000 plus, right? But most of them are about 600 a month where I was looking in Broward County, Miami-Dade County, um, West Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach County and, uh, St. Lucie County and stuff like that. And, uh, so I was just expecting it was going to be pretty high. So I asked this guy, (coughs) excuse me, the maintenance man, um, in, at my Conifer office as he was kind of looking at all my podcast stuff and asked me what I do. And so I just basically was like, Hey, how much is the, is the, uh, HOA fee? And I expected it to be high. And he goes, Oh, it's like 150 ish. I think he said 120 or 130, but he's like, it's around 150, um, something like that. And I go, I go. That's awesome. That's a that's a great investment. Um, and the, and then I just asked him how much he was uh, getting for rent, and he told me that his rent was about uh, sixteen hundred, and it sounded low to me. I was like, oh, just sixteen hundred. You know, sixteen hundred is a lot of rent for a lot of places, but in, in Denver, because his property's like at the bottom of the hill um, in like the in Denver County. So, uh, so I was like, yeah. How how much are you getting rent? He goes sixteen hundred and I did the math. Okay. So I did the math. What I did is I, I, I expect that every property out there, every property out there has a 50% expense ratio. And basically what I'm saying is half of all the money that you get, even, even if like every single month you don't see this amount of money going out of your pocket, you eventually pay it when you have to redo the roof or when you have to like redo a furnace um, or when you have to pay your HOA fees, or or um, pay your um, basically do tenant turnover, which is super expensive, or when you have to pay your um, property manager to place a new tenant, right? Or like loss to lease, or um, you know water damage, or just repainting the property. Ultimately, like a lot of people that think that they're um, doing really well with their investment, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm making like. $300 on top of my mortgage. I mean, honestly, on those properties, the, the truth is you're probably actually losing money. You're, even though you think that you're making like a $300 cash flow, you're really actually losing money. But let me get back to my maintenance man, um, who is a secret millionaire. Uh, very interesting guy, uh, really cool guy. Um, and he's, he's a 65 years old and he's about to retire and, and he's just made some really frugal and uh, smart. Decisions smart uh, compared to most of the people out there, um, but not like smart compared to what I'm going to teach you how to do. Um, so anyway, he, he owns it. It's three hundred k or two hundred ninety k, and um, he makes sixteen grand, uh, a sixteen hundred dollars a month at total. And I it, I, I took out fifty percent for the expenses automatically, and so it's basically eight hundred dollars that he's getting every single month, right? So, um, and what I do is I multiply the 800 by 12 and I don't remember what it was, but I'm going to do it right now. 800 times 12. Okay. So that's, um, uh, just under $10,000. So I said, ah, that's cool. I believe that you're pocketing around 10 grand a year. You know, he might think that he's making a little bit more than that out of the 1600. He might not, he might be thinking, oh, on my 1600, really my expenses are just like 150 here. Um, to my HOA. So he thinks that he's like making 1,350 bucks or whatever the 1,450, whatever the math would be. Um, but really he's making maybe 10 grand a year. And, and that's not bad. But then we take that 9,600 uh, and we divide it by the 290,000, which is basically how much money he has tied up into it. Now, I'm not saying that he put um, his own 290,000 into this property. I'm not telling you that he put 290. I'm just saying that he has 290 tied up into this property. If he sold it today, he would have 290,000. So basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out a real cap rate. And so on this cap rate, it's a 3.3% cap rate. So what you'll do is you'll take that nine hundred. Um, I mean $9,600 and you'll divide it by how much money you have tied into it. And uh, this is the, this is, or, Technically, the number isn't how much you have tied up into it overall. It's really just the value of it to get the cap rate. But for him, it's the same, right? What he has tied up into it is the value. Some people have a a loan against it. And so they'll forget how much money they have versus the loan. And they'll just talk about the value. That's to get the cap rate. So, um, geez, I mean, I don't want to cuss on the podcast, but this is a very crappy um, cap rate. When I buy uh, multifamily deals, I'm, I'm getting uh, a seven cap, a six and a half cap, an eight cap on the multifamily deals that we're, that we're closing on. And if we're not buying it at an eight cap, then we're, we're buying it at a six cap and we're turning it into an eight cap after the first year, right? So, so like, why in the heck would I ever um, encourage you to, to buy a, a condo that you only have a three cap on? It's, it's stupid. It's just not smart. So today we're talking, in this episode anyway, I, I don't know how many you'll listen to today, but in this episode, what we're really talking about is why would you be passive? Why would you be a passive investor? All right, so <clears throat> let's talk about him uh, getting a three cap, 3% on his money every year. Uh, and uh, let's talk about, he has a property management company. Luckily, he has a property management company, even though he is a maintenance person, he 's not always doing all the maintenance on his thing so so he 's kind of passive he 's not a real passive investor, but he 's as passive as you can get because he 's letting uh, this multi, uh, this multi this um, property management company manage the the deal for him. He still has to make decisions i mean when he has tenants. Um, uh, move out or when there's like termites or or when a toilet needs to break, like he'll hear about it, right? He'll have to make a decision. The property management company is probably gonna say, um, would you rather uh, buy a $100 toilet or a $400 toilet? Um, those are your options. And he's gonna have to make it, he's gonna have to stop whatever he's doing and, and make that decision. So it's not 100% passive, right? He does have to work and he does have to stress. And his wife right now wants to sell it his wife wants to sell this property because she feels like they're going to retire in a year or two. And she wants to like travel the world and she doesn't feel confident that they'll be able to travel the world and do what they want when they want. If they own this multi, excuse me, if they own this condo. And so the wife is talking the husband into trying to sell it. And I was, I was like, man, man, if, if I could just talk to you about a couple of things, uh, like I would be grateful to be able to share a couple things with you because I'm pretty freaking opinionated on your, three and a half, your 3.3 cap rate, you're wasting money and you still have to manage the thing. You're working harder than you ever would have to work than being a passive passive investor in a, in a syndication and you're making way less. So my goal as an operator, and really I'm going to tell you honestly right now, my goal is to double somebody's money in five to six years. That's my goal, right? I want to double your money in five to six years. Now, if you do the math on that, the annualized return, my goal is somewhere around 16 to 20%. So if I find a deal that's 16% at least, and by a conservative, um, the, the way that we look at it conservatively, If, if we find that, that we can do that for a passive investor, we're going to buy it. So this guy who has a three and a half three point three 3.3, uh, cap rate is leaving a lot of money on the table. And I talked to him about, uh, about him, what he could do just one, up one idea. So, um, to make a long story short, he has 300 grand in a retirement account and he has, um, he has 300 grand into this property, give or take, right? He has a little more in his re- retirement account and technically the property is worth 290,000. But um, if he sold it and he, and he paid the gains on the capital gains, I think it's 22,000. Uh, so he had he would have 265,000 available to go into passive investments. And I let him know um, that conservatively in 12 years, he would double his money twice. So So we have that 265,000. Um, which in in uh, in five in six years, conservatively, because my goal is five to six years. And that, that uh, my, what I tell my investors is my goal is five to six years. And what our real goal is, is to do it as flipping fast as possible. If we do it in two years and double somebody's money, we will do it in two years. If it happens in three, awesome. If it happens in four, awesome. But it's gonna conservatively happen in five to six years. So if we use the six years and double that money uh, twice, so 265 times two, the first year he would have five hundred the first time that it doubled in in six years conservatively he'd have five hundred and thirty k and he's sixty five right now and if he did it one more time, then he would have over a million dollars um, just kind of out there making um, you know uh eight eighteen percent twenty percent sixteen percent annualized return uh, for for the next uh, few years of his life so if he wants to to switch from making three percent, he can go to making twenty percent. And if you just use the rule of seventy two, that how quickly it doubles is way better. And it it would just be dumb not to, right? So so this way you can be totally hands off. You also get all of the tax benefits. Okay, so there's there's pass through depreciation. So the, basically, you're going to get a K one, and the money's going to pass through, and you're going to be able to make all of that money. Now. <coughs> Why else would you want to be a passive investor? Well, um, there's th- something called the Sharpe Ratio. Now, not everybody even knows what a Sharpe Ratio is. Okay, it's not pointy. It doesn't poke you. Um, what the Sharpe Ratio is, S-H-A-R-P-E, Sharpe Ratio, is really it's a risk-adjusted return. It's, it's the returns that you get based on the volatility that you had to go through in order to get those returns, okay? So um, if you just look at all of the... Um, if you look at all the stocks and bonds and mutual funds, there's one that really stands out to me. And out of all stocks and all bonds and all mutual funds, the one that stands out to me is the S&P 500, okay? So there's there's the S&P 100, there's the S&P 500. And what the S&P 500 is, is a whole bunch of smart people that are are brilliant engineers. And their focus is two things, okay? They have two goals. Um, With the Sharpe ratio, they look at this um, S&P 500 and they take you know uh, a diversified, I, I think, 500 companies, and, and they diversify it into, into some things that are, are growth and some things that are, are tech and some things that are medical and some things that are, that are whatever, uh, multiple different things. And their, their goal as smart people is to, to give the highest return that they can over time but with as little of the volatility as possible. So that's why they put it into 500 different companies because they want to see less of the up spikes and the down spikes, right? So they don't, they don't want it to jump up really, really fast because they know if it jumps up really, really fast, there's a good probability that it will jump down really fast. And just like the stock market already does that, like if you've been watching the stock market over the last two years, I mean, you would probably have a heart attack because it's been insane, right? So so the basically the thing is that the S&P 500 tries to get away from the big, huge ups and downs and ups and downs that the, um, that the rest of the stock market has. And they try to be a little bit more conservative. So it'll still go up and down. Obviously it goes up and down and um, they want to, minimize that with the sharp ratio, the risk-adjusted return. They want to give you the highest return possible without all of that volatility. So that's the S&P 500. Now, all of those smart people, they're doing better than most of the stocks, but still multifamily. If you look at multifamily versus the S&P 500, multifamily is almost six times stronger. Okay, what that means is that um, back in the year 2008, I'm sure you remember 2008, back in the year 2008, uh, all of the people, um, they, had, they had these things called 401ks in 2006 and 7, but in 2008, they had 201ks. Now, that's a joke. You should be laughing. It went from a 401k to 201k, which basically means I had a lot of friends that lost their entire wealth in the year of 2008 because they used to have uh, lots and lots of money, and then all of a sudden, it dropped. And um, it was out of their control, and even the S and P 500 dropped. But what happened at the same time as that is, um, we we want to talk about the stocks, which which you know 401ks became 201ks. But we want to talk about single family and multifamily at the same time because let's go back into 2008. Remember 2008 when your 401ks dropped in half, and also you had a few friends that were going through foreclosure, right? Um, maybe even you listening, maybe you even had a foreclosure, maybe you were behind on your mortgage for a little while because like it was just harder to pay your bills that year. So, so, um, the houses, there was a ton of houses that went through foreclosure that, that year and what ended up and, and also 2009 and 10, there was some aftermath as well, but. While that was happening with the stock market and, and, and it took a long time for the stock market to really rebound. And while that was happening with a single family and people losing their, losing their homes, I actually had family members and friends that, that you know, were, were losing their homes as well. And um, the same time that that was happening, there's um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that they they loan money on a lot of different types of assets, right, and one of the assets that they loan on is a large multifamily like a hundred plus units and um, The interesting thing is when the stock market was having a rough time, and we were just in one of the worst downturns we 've ever seen, and the um, the single family houses were in one of the best worst times that we 've ever seen, uh, large multifamily actually had a point eight less than a one percent, like literally less than 1% default rate. Now, I'm not even really talking about a, a foreclosure rate. Um, there was less foreclosures than defaults, but even just getting behind on the mortgage uh, was still less than 1% on larger multifamily. And the main reason why is because we have these things called debt service coverage ratio, and that's what protects the banks. So instead of being uh, looking just at the loan to value, how much money they're gonna give you a loan to value, because some, uh, some multifamilies, uh, right now we 're getting one hundred percent leverage on some of our um, some of our uh, fix and flip style multifamily like the big value add multifamily sometimes the lenders will actually give you um, more than the property 's worth right now they give you more than one hundred percent. Just because they understand what you're going to be able to do with it, if they trust you, so that happens sometimes. And and what also happens a lot, oftentimes, is they might give you like 85 or 90 percent loan to cost. And loan to cost is actually higher than loan to value. Just so you know, loan to cost is is basically they loan you more than just the value. They loan you on the cost that it takes you to get it across the finish line. So if you're a syndicator and you're putting like. $20,000 to, um, like, uh, your PPM, your private placement memorandum and, and your other, um, your, your other paperwork. And if you're also doing due diligence where you're spending several thousand dollars just to get the due diligence. And you know, there's like a phase one environmental study that you're going to probably have to do on, on all of your properties and maybe even a phase two, all of this, all of these costs that come and, and are associated with buying the property they will add that to your loan to cost. So you, they're gonna give you maybe 85 or 90% of that sometimes, right? So, um, and HUD loans, oh my gosh. I mean, HUD loans are amortized loans for 35 or 40 years. I mean, literally, they don't have a term. Like they don't, they don't say that you have to get rid of this uh, balloon in like five, seven or 10 years. Like with the HUD loan, you'll get a 35-year am, amortized loan or a 40-year amortized loan. I mean, the the debt... On uh, on these types of properties are amazing because of the sharp ratio because the lenders understand that they're utilizing DSCR versus loan to value. So obviously, I'm saying that you know one of the best places where you can ha- leverage a property is really is really these um, larger multifamilies because they're so much safer and stronger, um, almost six times stronger than the S and P 500 because they're they're less volatile than the ups and downs that even you see in the S and P 500. But additionally, you also get a lot bigger returns than the S&P 500, which is awesome. So they're more consistent and they're not gonna jump up but down. And that's what they saw in 2008 when all the houses were going to foreclosure, um, everybody's, all the stocks, like people were losing their wealth, uh, losing their jobs, losing the wealth. And it was, it was just a bad time, but not for a multifamily. Multifamily was still cash flowing. Even like, so I actually... Um, was owning multifamily. I, I, in 2008, I, I made a million bucks for uh, 2007, excuse me, um, uh, six to seven, no, se- seven to eight. In Between 2007 to 2008, um, I was managing a, a medium-sized apartment building, a, a 16 unit. And all I did really was just raise the rents and lower some of the expenses. And I made the, the owner. So I was the property manager, right? And I made the owner a um, million dollars on that property just because I did a good job managing it. And um, in 2008, I, I bought my own multifamily, and and I didn't lose it. Like I didn't like lose my property because um, the lenders they look at something called debt service coverage ratio, DSCR for short. And what that really means is is the lender wants to see that you're making more money. Then um, you're making more money than the lo- than the um, loan is going to cost you. than the debt service co- costs you, and so like they they go into this with something called um, they they call it 1.2 um, percent, right? Or they call it 1.25 percent. So really, what that means is let's just say that the that the loan on uh, on a, one of these larger apartment buildings costs you like a, a hundred thousand a month or like a million a year. Let's just say. Um, let's just use a hundred thousand a month. That's that's your debt service every single month. You're paying that. Well, not you. All of your freaking tenants are paying that for you. But the lender is going to just make sure that you have twenty percent on top of that. So if you're putting out a hundred thousand, then they just want to make sure that the total NOI, the net operating income. After all of the expenses, really is a hundred and twenty thousand. Because that way you can give them a hundred of it, and they and you can keep twenty as your uh, twenty thousand every single month. That's like your profit on a smaller building like that. And as you do that, they understand and know. That if we hit uh, a bad time in the economy, a rough time in the economy, um, and maybe your your rents drop by you know five or ten percent at, at the most and I'm being like really aggressive by saying your rents drop five or ten percent, or if your occupancy uh, drops by ten percent, something like that, if this even possibly happens, which it's not as likely with larger multifamily, but if it does, um, what's going to happen is is you will still have more than enough money to pay them. And that's why they're being so conservative. And that's why in 2008 um, and nine and 10 and 11, um, we weren't ha- seeing uh, major foreclosures on, on multifamily, large multifamily, like we were on the smaller homes. You know, It was so much safer, so much stronger. And that's, that's why they give higher leverage. That's why they, um, the, the lenders do all that. And that's important for you to know if you're a passive investor. Because what you're looking for is you're looking for safety. If you're a passive investor, what you want to know is, is your money going to be safe? And so, so talking to this gentleman that is the uh, maintenance man at my Conifer office, um, he uh, what was I about to say? So this this gentleman he, at the Conifer office, he has this, um, let's just say 265,000 and he's trying to decide, should I put it in the stock market? Should I put it in a single family? Should I put it in multifamily? In, and just like not even being biased about this because this is data that I've been collecting over years. I've been in, in real estate for a very long time and I'm collecting like actual data and spending a lot of time learning this and, and, and understanding what happens. And that's why I actually look at sharp Ratio um, and most people don't even know what it is because I need to know how much is am I going to make versus all the volatility that I will get. And uh, I have less volatility in this asset class. I, I didn't pick this asset class and then try to prove it right, right? I tried to understand asset classes and uh, fully understand them. And then when I was able to make an educated decision and decide on multifamily, that's when I decided that I'm gonna start closing on multifamily. Uh, It's not like I I did the other one first, right? So you as a past investor, you wanna save your money. So you're gonna want to make sure that you have um, more returns with less risk, like less volatility. And that's why you might wanna go into something like multifamily. And then the next one that I wanna talk about is just diversification. So obviously, um, if you're active, you can't be as diversified as if you're passive. And all I mean by that is like, if you're an active investor and you're running the show, you have to uh, be able to, you're gonna spread yourself thin if you're going to all these different markets, right? You You can't diversify across the whole nation as an active investor. It's just, it's not safe, it's not feasible. But as a passive investor, you might be able to put some of your money with one operator uh, and I'm a passive investor, actually three different operators. I've, I put money, I place money with, right? So I, I told you before that I, I love this asset class. I believe in this asset class. And that's why I'm passive in 1,075 doors as I record this video or this audio. And um, I truly believe in it. And these are, those aren't even the deals that I'm running, right? I'm, I'm putting it in one person and another person and, and a third group um, that, uh, that this is where my money is tied up because I want to be diversified. Because uh, the more money that I get, I can, I can actually start diversifying. It's because I'm actually totally hands-off. Then I'm making those good returns. Like I'm, I'm talking about 8% cash on cash right now. And ultimately, maybe um, maybe all three of these these operators, they plan to double my money in uh, the same thing. Like five years, six years. They plan to double my money in about that rate. So that's why I love it. As I'm diversified with all three of them, all three um, people all three um, operators, they work in different markets. So some of my past investments are in Texas, some of them are in Alabama and some of them are in Georgia, right? So, so that's how I'm diversifying myself and that's how you can diversify yourself if you're getting into large multifamily because you can put it with three different operators. You can put it in three different states. And because you're so hands-off, it's not a stressful thing. It's not difficult. You're not actually spreading yourself thin. Um, so I hope that makes sense. The next thing that I love about like, being able to be a passive investor. Now, I, don't, I haven't done it with my retirement funds. But I, as an active um, operator, my team raises a lot of equity just from uh, people's QRPs, self-directed IRAs, self-directed 401Ks. Right. So that allows um, people to because the thing is, like, it's easier for you to place money because you usually have more money sitting in your retirement account than you have sitting in your bank. Just most people, most people have more money sitting in their retirement account than they do in their bank. And it's hard for you to, like, invest um, your retirement account in your own deals that you're operating just because it's called self-dealing and it's really not allowed for you to, to be the person who's adding value to your IRA or your 401k. So, But when you're being a passive, passive investor, you can actually put your retirement account into a syndication and be making money on that money. And the next thing I'll talk, talk about is just that markets are cyclical. So um, that really goes back to like diversification. I believe that um, some markets go up, some markets go down. And it's just easier for you as, as somebody who's hands off to, um, to actually look at different markets and, and be an educated investor as far as what market do I want to be in and, and why do I want to be in that market? Like be educated uh, and understand the market, which... There's three important things as a passive investor. You want to make sure you're investing with the right person, like the right team. And you want to make sure that you're investing in the right market because there's a lot of passive um, investors right now that just don't understand that. And there's a lot of active investors that are just not really great people or smart. Uh, And and, and I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. And so I will just be honest with you. There's a lot of really terrible syndicators right now. And the thing that I hate most about those syndicators that are, they're not being, they're not trying to protect their past investors on money. They're, they, they care more about just like making some money, like making a couple of acquisition fees. than they do like uh, actually about protecting their past investors money. And they're doing reckless things like getting into markets that are just terrible. Um, what I mean is, uh, for a while, people were looking at just, um, just, primary markets. And then they started going to secondary markets and um, I'm all about secondary markets, but then they got into the tertiary and then they got into the boonies, right? They got into markets that were so bad that only had 2000 people um, that lived there. And these, these syndicators, these, these operators that are kind of new at this, but they, they want to start making money. They're, they're doing reckless things like getting into a market that's not even growing. So they're going, they're, I've, I've, I hear so many people that are putting their flipping money into Tulsa, Oklahoma the year that I'm recording this. Tulsa, Oklahoma has been stagnant for the last, I think 20 years. I, I don't remember, I, I did study it. Um, which is exactly why I definitely don't um, invest uh, my investors' money into a, a terrible place like Tulsa, Oklahoma. But a lot of people listening, they're like, no, I love Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I'm just telling you, honestly, that Tulsa sucks. Tulsa is bad. It has terrible metrics. And what I mean by that is it's not emerging. They're actually overbuilding there. So they're building more units then there is people moving in because it's, it's been the type of uh, flat market that literally hasn't grown at least in the last five years. And, and when you look at the uh, reports and you actually study what's going to happen there, you will see that they will not be growing for the next five years. And you'll also see that they're building more apartments right now today than they can, they can actually have people move into them. So what that means is you have a terrible absorption rate. The absorption means um, how many uh, units are coming online versus how many people are moving in or having babies or whatever. Uh, And really what the metrics show is that Tulsa, Oklahoma in uh, 2022 is going to have an average of 12% vacancy. And the problem is that there's so many reckless people that are going there and they're writing things like using the same metrics that they would use like in Dallas or they would use in Atlanta or they would use in Denver and, um, or they would use in Oklahoma city, which actually they're not far from each other. I think they're only like two hours away. I can't remember, but Tulsa is like a little bit Northeast of, of OKC, uh, Tulsa's terrible and Oklahoma city is awesome. So Um, They might be using like Oklahoma city's metrics or, or Dallas's metrics, which the, the population's actually growing. And in uh, like, for instance, I, I invest in Oklahoma city and, and the population is growing. It's been growing 1% year over year for the last 10 years. And it's also going to be growing 1% year over year for the next five, at least. And that's what's, that's what's on the, um, On like if you go to go get a co-star report, you can just compare these two, right? And then what you'll see is that Tulsa, uh, they're overbuilding and and nobody's moving there, and they're going to have a twelve percent vacancy. But the people that are. Uh, that the all these operators that are buying it in in that city and I I don't mean to like put down that specific city like on the podcast I'm not trying to be sued I'm not trying to do any of this I'm I'm trying to just be real with you and be honest with you and if if I do um, you know get in trouble for it or whatever like you know sue me I'm sorry I don't mean to be rude about that market I just need to use a market as as a really good example to kind of really give you the the value out of this podcast so that you understand if you're being a passive investor really what to be looking at. Um, so you could be making sixteen percent, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen percent on your money, just like I was telling my maintenance man that he could really sell his his single family and then and then put it into you know two or three syndications where he might have a hundred here, a hundred there, and, and the other sixty five in in another one. And that would help him diversify, double it every uh, five or six years. And it's just way stronger than the 3% that he's getting now. Now, if you um, invest though with somebody who's like uh, being completely reckless and um, and they don't understand, they're like showing that right now they have 6% vacancy in this project. and And they're trying to tell you that they're going to increase the, the occupancy by a percent every year for the next five years. And, and so they're telling you and showing you numbers and, and numbers do lie, unfortunately. They're showing you numbers where, where they're basically showing that um, that this project that they're closing in, um, in five years is gonna be like an, at 98% occupancy or something like that. Well, if you knew the real metrics, if you understood like about the market, and you saw that it was going to have a 12% vacancy. Well, basically, what you're, what that um, difference is between the 98 that you were promised and the 12% that it's actually going to be um, in that Tulsa market, then what's going to happen is you're you're actually going to lose money. So you're you're investing in a syndication with a team that that's just not really trying to help you out by by protecting your capital, and you're actually go- going to lose some of some of your money. Not all of your capital, but you're going to lose some of it still. Tulsa's way safer than the stock market, but um, but the point is, you will lose money. You will lose money if if you have a uh, an operator who thinks that they're going to get that pro- project from um, you know eighty uh, percent occupied or ninety two percent occupied all the way up to ninety eight percent occupied, but really it goes down to twelve percent occupied. It's it's just. It's a scary thing, so you, you want to be careful who you're investing with, obviously. But you can be hands-off if you get the right operator. You can get all the tax benefits through your K-1s. You, you have the sharp ratio, which, um, which is going to allow you to make more money with um, less risk. And you can diversify it you know, with different operators, different cities, making sure that you understand what city it's in. You can use your retirement funds. And then because markets are so cyclical – Um, Tulsa, you know, in in 2022 might be a great place to start putting your money, right? So in 2022, you might want to start putting your money in Tulsa. I'm not saying that you definitely want to, but you want to kind of watch that market and watch what is going to happen. You know, Oklahoma City, where I'm investing, we have at least five years of up, but at the fifth year, Um, it might be a a thing where we want to sell it and move out of the, maybe move out of the Oklahoma city market into another market, right? So you you always want to be watching the markets because they are cyclical, but here's just some reasons why you would want to be passive. You make a lot of money. You um, can be completely hands-off. So it can be a great, great thing, but that's only if you have money. But the next thing, uh, if you have money and you want to leave it into the deal but the next thing that I want to share with you is just how you could actually have money but not use it. How could you have money in your bank, not put it out anywhere at all, but still be able to be a part of a general partnership and own part of the deal and uh, and actually have a deal? You might not have a whole bunch of time. You might not have a whole bunch of experience and you might not even want to use your money. Um, but what an amazing way by using your net worth to get into a deal. So that's going to be number five and I'll share it on the very next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the eight ways that you can be getting involved in a multifamily sooner. And I'm talking, you could be getting involved in a multifamily today or tomorrow, like right away and not waiting uh, 90 days or six months or two years down the line to get started. You can actually do it right away. So if, uh, if you haven't heard the eighth episode yet, then that means that the next episode is coming up right away. It'll give you another strategy, a tip, trick, and strategy of how to get involved. And by the way, I hope I see you at the Raising Money Summit, October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. My podcast listeners get a giant discount, a 15% discount. We're being generous. Uh, So we want to give you that discount to any level of tickets. And honestly, if you do get value out of this podcast, if if you liked this episode and you know that I'm coming from a good place and always wanting to give you value, it would mean the world to me if you took a, a couple of minutes, like one to two minutes, out of your day to just quickly give us a rating and review to tell us a little bit more of your thoughts. Like that means the world to me. And so if you've already done it, I'm super super grateful. And if if you've just kind of been on the fence and and you, and you haven't given a rating or a review. Um, I hope you'll uh, hop off the fence and just give us a quick rating and review and tell, tell me what you think about the show. It made the world to me. So um, the next of the eight ways that you can get involved in multifamily is right here.